As we began the study last week, the way we were, this morning is the companion message, and it's the fun part. It's the way we are. And I want to encourage you this morning to be encouraged. Because as we saw last time, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. And we're going to take a little trip backwards. We're going to pick up in verse 4 and down through verse 10. I am excited about the study this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we draw near to you, we know that you draw near to us. And Lord, we want to know what the Spirit has to say. And Father, most importantly, we really want to understand the great depth of riches that we have in Christ. And pray that you would encourage us, Lord. No doubt there have been some that have come and they're heavily burdened, they're weighted down. Lord, perhaps they really don't believe that you'll love them. God, I pray that this morning, that as we recognize the tremendous work that was done on the cross, Lord, that you, Jesus, did what we could not do. That, Father God, you proposed a solution to a problem that there was no solution to in our humanness. And it was your own Son. Pray that you would bless us as we study. Anoint your word, Lord. Help it to bring forth fruit in our lives. We love you. We bless you. And we praise you. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 4, if you'd pick up with me. And I want to simply read these six verses. And it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, who by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a message of hope those verses are. Because when you look at the way we were, and and I think it, behooves us to look back just a little bit at our last study. When you look at our addiction to sin, and I'll use that phrase just for purpose of illustration, when you look at how we were without Christ, when you look at who we are without Christ, when you look at the path that we were traveling, when you look at your sin, You see, most of us didn't look at our old life and go, man, I'm really in trouble. Most of us looked at our life prior to that light bulb going on that is Christ, and we said, hey, I'm just like everybody else. I'm doing fine. I'm good. It's all fine. You know, just my, my life is like everybody else's life. Sure, I have my issues, but, you know, this sin thing, I think people make too much of it. You know, really, what is sin? And in fact, that's one of those things that that as we look at the way the world responds to the word sin, 
they're pretty much adverse to it, amen? You, you can say something's wrong, you can say you don't like it, but don't call it sin, because that means God doesn't approve of it. The fact of the matter is, there's a lot in this world that God doesn't approve of. And, and there is a penalty for walking that way. And so as I shared last time, we have to have the bad news in order to really appreciate the good. Amen? If you don't get who you are without Jesus, then you may not want who you are with Jesus. And so we need to understand that we are sinners. It's interesting that, as I shared with you last time, that when you really are engaged in sinful behavior, you don't recognize it, but it actually is controlling you. You're not controlling it. You're wandering around thinking you've got, got it all made. You're fine. You know, you can quit anytime you want. But the fact of the matter is it's not true. And if you look at life in general on this planet, you'll understand that that is absolutely a spiritual truth, that people are addicted to sin. And they really, to some degree, apart from Christ, cannot help themselves. They're just doing what comes naturally. The natural man with its appetites, our old nature, left unchecked, goes awry. Amen? As I also shared last time, and again, it's so important to keep this in context. You, you see, we, we can look at that list of those, what we would call superior sins, those A-class sins, and we would all pretty uniformly agree that murder is wrong, thievery is wrong, adultery is wrong that they would leave us out of God's favor if we were to continue in those things. Most of us have little problem with that. We even attribute those things to being of the enemy. We might even say that, man, that murder was satanic. I can't believe that person did that to their spouse. But let's take it just one step further. How about bitterness? How about envy? How about hate? How about gossip? How about impure motives? How about unfriendliness? How about cheating? How about lying? Contentiousness? Being unloving? Being unkind? Having a critical spirit? Maybe you have a tough time pushing away from the dinner table. How about malcontentedness? Ow. You see, we don't have any problem recognizing the biggies. But even as believers, don't we at times forget that God's standard is quite a bit higher than ours? And see, that's why if you're here this morning and you say, Well, I've never robbed anybody. I've never murdered anybody. I've never cheated on my spouse. I've never had a drug problem. Okay. Have you ever been malcontent? Have you ever spoken words about somebody for the sole purpose of hurting them? Have you ever been angry? You see, when you start looking at life that way, we all need the cure, amen? 
You see, we don't like to think about it, but our lives are kind of like that B-movie, as I shared with you last time. We could call it Empire of the Dead without Jesus. That would be the movie of our life with uh, bitterness starring as victimhood. Ouch. Or gossip starring as prayer needs. You see, without Jesus, we're all in trouble, amen? I am. No Jesus, I'm in trouble. Because he's got the cure to what ails me. And what follows next is the most wonderful encouragement to us as the body of Christ. Because it really tells us how we get the cure. You see, we could take all those sins and the things that have enslaved us, and if we were to stop at verse 3 and we never make it to verse 4, we're still dead in our trespasses and sins, no matter how good they might be. You, you see, as Alan Redpath made the distinction, I think the church is prone to believing there are a list of good sins. Well, that one's not bad. By default, if it's not bad, it might be good. But there's no such thing in God's eyes as good sins. They're, they're all capable of keeping us from the kingdom of heaven. So whether you struggle with murder or you struggle with gossip, without Jesus, you're toast. It's bad. You're dead. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy, as we saw last time, these glorious words, it tells us how God acts towards us in light of the diagnosis. And again, take yourself back there for a moment. But God, and then throw your life in there in full view. And I'm not suggesting we were talking before service this morning and we were laughing about you know how we used to dress and act. And, and I, in fact, at one point in time in my life had a fro. Don't ask me why Gordon Lightfoot had a fro. I thought I needed a fro. Okay, it's just... But it's pretty indicative of how messed up we are without Jesus. Because we try all these things to make ourselves different than we actually are. Amen? We engage in these behaviors that we think are going to fulfill us. Well, I'll look like Gordon Lightfoot. I can play guitar like him. I can sing like him. To this day, I can still play his songs. I just don't have the bank account. <laughs> or the hair. But I'm so thankful that I can be me. Amen? Now, I'm not perfect and neither are you. But God looks at me and He says, But God. He doesn't say, Jeff, you need to be like you need to be transformed before I can talk to you. You need to be cleaned up before I'll come into your life. But God applies before we get saved. Would you remember that? But God applies before you get saved. You see, that's, that's what Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And for God to have a desire for something and to do nothing about it makes him a liar, and he's not a liar. But God, he's crying out. He's saying, Jeff, here's the, here's the cure. I'm rich in mercy. His mercy has not been sequestered, okay? It hasn't been sent out on loan to some foreign god. He is still abundantly, fabulously wealthy in mercy and in grace. He's got plenty. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, His grace is sufficient for you, for me, for us, for all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? Hallelujah! As the body of Christ, these are verses that we should be saying hallelujah to, because without them, the option's not real good, folks. Because I can tell you how much capacity you have of cleaning up your own life to meet God's standards. Let me tell you, it's a single digit. Zero. Not going to happen. No matter how good you think you might be able to be, the sheer fact that you think you can do it is proof you can't. Because that would put you on par with God. And you're not. Neither am I. I am abundantly glad that He is rich in mercy. That He doesn't give me what I deserve. Because if He did, I sure shouldn't be saved. I absolutely shouldn't be going to heaven. I sure shouldn't be seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. Amen? And neither should you. That's why we can rejoice over this passage. But God, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, we were rebellious to Him. But God, we were enslaved to Satan. But God, you would have been left spiritually dead and in rebellion against the God who loves you. But He didn't do that. And in fact, he made it so that as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. Amen? To those who believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. Amen? But God loved us anyway. He agapied us anyway. And in doing so, he's made us alive in Christ. Notice what verse 5 says. Made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. A circle even. But God made you alive in Christ, even in spite of, and to some degree, in light of, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But notice it's God that's doing the doing here, amen? Because you don't have any capacity to please Him. There's no work you could do. Not even the work of believing is enough to save you apart from but God. You have to believe to be sure to be saved. But even that faith, notice what it says, to believe comes from God. He's raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Christ. You realize what he's saying here? He's made us adopted in the Beloved to the point that you could be seated with his own Son in heaven and are even now. These are active present tense verbs here. It says that you are seated. As far as God's concerned, it is a foregone conclusion that you're going to heaven one day. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Because if it was up to me to earn my way after I get saved, you see, a lot of people's theology goes this way. Well, I'll believe, and then as long as I do good deeds, I'll make it. No. You believe, and that's the reason you're going to heaven. Period. End of conversation. And everything else that you do does not help or change the fact that you're going to heaven. It's simply the results of you being one of God's kids. How did God act? He makes us alive. Notice the word make there. It's really uh, made more brilliant by a, a Greek prefix, which is the Greek word soon, and it means this. It means together with. So when you're talking about but God, because of but God, we are together with Christ. But God, we are raised up with Christ. But God, we are seated with Christ. He's done that. He's caused it to happen. I didn't earn it. Because here's why I tell you this, and this is so important for us to grasp as the body of Christ. There are people that boil down faith to a work. Faith becomes the work. Well, I've got to have more faith. Matter of fact, I need to have faith in more faith. I need to make sure that my faith is really strong and that I'm doing stuff, otherwise I won't really be saved. Family of God, that makes faith works. And this passage is clear. You are not saved by any work, including the work of faith. You are saved but God, by God, through God. It's in Him, through Him, and to Him that all things belong. All you do is receive it. You believe it. It becomes yours because of, but God. We're no longer dead, we're alive. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Rome in chapter 6, verse 8, it says there, and I'm reading from the New International Version, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. And the death He died, He died for sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Notice what it is. It doesn't say make yourself. It says count yourself. It's put yourself in the category because you didn't do it. He did it. Hallelujah. Why is this so important? Because there is no amount of doing anything on your part that can save you. None. Not even really severe believing. Not even amazing faith. That's why Paul said, if I give my body, if I offer my body to be burned, but I have not love, I'm nothing. You could go kill yourself for God, and it still wouldn't save you. It's His work. And anyone can receive that. Anyone can do that. 
It doesn't take monumental faith. It takes the faith that we're going to see next is a gift to you from God. But God. You see, the penalty of sin and its power over us were miraculously destroyed when Christ died on the cross. Isn't that amazing? That for us, it wasn't me all of a sudden, I'm super Jeff, I'm holy. And so I can now live this life because I'm super Jeff and I'm holy. God, before the foundation of the world, put together the plan that would send his own son to Calvary's cross to die for my sins, to pay the price for me that I could not pay, and to do the work for me that I could not do. Period. God doesn't take us out of the world and make us robots. There are times when we still feel like sinning. Amen? You can say amen, because you do. There are days you wake up and it's not all rosy in the spiritual realm. Amen? You go, amen. I shared with you last week, whiners for Jesus. Start a club. Yeah. Aren't you thankful that you're not having to get saved again because of the things you thought this morning when you walked into your house and you stumbled over your kids' toys and went down the stair head first? Because I guarantee it isn't, oh, bless my children. (laughs) Rotten, filthy scum. Yeah, we think things we shouldn't think, amen? I, well, I do. I know you guys are, but I do. There are days I have to repent of what I think, much less what I do. Yeah. But God, you excited about but God yet? Because if you're trying to keep it, you're trying to stay saved because you're super holy. You're wandering around in that group of people who think, well, I'll just do some more works and I'll be fine. I was like that. Every time I sinned, well, now I need to go do something. And this is a fault. Uh, and, I, and again, I just want to draw your attention to it. That's why this is a fault of the Catholic Church. You're going to go tell some guy that you sinned and he's going to give you a couple of things to go do. Do some, you know, Hail Mary, some Our Fathers, do a few things, pay some extra money, do a couple of things. You're going to be okay with God? How in the world does that work in light of grace? It doesn't. It doesn't. And no man absolves you of sin. Calvary's cross and Jesus Christ absolves you of your sin. And that's the only way you get absolution. You're not wandering around every day going, well, you know, I better do this so I can make sure I earn it. You can't earn it. That's the point. There's nothing you can do to receive it. It's a gift. That obedience that we now live is because of what Christ has done for us. Notice it says in verse 6, For He raised us from dead along with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. In other words, when God looks at you, He sees Jesus' righteousness. You are justified just as if you had never sinned. God doesn't look at you and go, can't believe it. I don't even know how He got saved in the first place. You see, that's our human thinking. We think that, don't we? 
Uh, God doesn't love me. You know how many Christians walk in defeat because they sin? It's because they don't understand. They never earned their salvation in the first place. You weren't good enough to be saved. You got saved when you were still rotten. For by grace you've been saved through faith. We have a new citizenship. We've changed allegiances. I've shared with you before, when you pull out your passport, and it's a U.S. passport, it says that you are a citizen of the United States of America. And wherever you go, that is your golden ticket, because you are a citizen of the United States of America. And you can run to a consulate if you've got some problems, and you are a citizen of the United States of America, and that is American soil. You are still an American, even if you're in Iran. You're a citizen of heaven, and no matter where you are, and no matter what's going on in your life, you are a citizen of heaven. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands who are His. Hallelujah. But it's not up to you. You were born an American citizen. Now, maybe you're here today and you're a naturalized citizen. But the bottom line is, is those rights don't come because you've done anything. Same thing with us as the children of God. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I don't deserve to be an American. I am blessed to be born an American. I am a citizen of heaven because of Christ. Period. Notice verse 7. He begins to tell us why as we claim this royal status that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? God wants to be able to point to your life and go, look how rich my kids are. Look what happens when you're in my family. Now I know you guys never do this, but... You know, being a native San Diegan, basically, San Diego County, I like to drive through La Jolla. I can't afford to live there, okay? I might be able to be somebody's lawn boy or something. I don't know. But there, as you make the corner and head down the coast highway past Bird Rock, there's a there's an exotic car dealership. And sometimes me and the boys go get drool on, we'll just like, look at that, I'm a you may have seen that on the news this week. That's what $1.8 million can buy you if you want to buy a car. You see, God wants to be able to point to us and go, see the riches of my kids? I bought that for them. See that house up there on the hill? I bought that for them. Now, of course, it's not those riches that I'm drawing attention to. It's who you are in Christ. It's what you are in Christ. You are fabulously wealthy in Him. You are amazingly blessed in Him. And God, in the ages to come, wants to go, See my kids? Wants to be able to point at you and go, Don't you want to be one of those? But God, 
You see, he does that. I don't do that. Going to church doesn't do that. Even studying the Bible doesn't do that. Praying doesn't do that. God alone does that. But God, I'm adopted into his family. Nothing I can do to earn it. Who else but God? Amen? It's interesting, this this phrase to point to or to show or show forth. It's actually a legal term. It literally means case closed. The final arguments have been presented, and incontrovertible evidence has been given by pointing at you and say, that's how wealthy my kids are. Nobody will question it. Nobody's going to come up with another idea. They're not going to go, well, I can be saved by doing this. They're going to go, only grace can do that. Only mercy accomplishes that. That's why this passage is so amazing. Because we're all able if it's all Him. Amen? We're all able if it's all Him. Amen? Because if not, we're not all able. If there's a single criteria for you to be saved, if there's one work you have to do, then there are people on this earth who can't do it. There can't be anything that is your responsibility that can be confined to that category of work. I accept what He has done. It is His work. He's done it all. I merely receive it. I put my hands out empty and I say, God, but God, You did it. You see, the example is going to be me and the example is going to be you. And that's why verse 8, God saved you, the new living says, by His grace when you believed. You said, yes, I'd like that. I recognized I was dead and I'd like to be alive. Isn't that amazing? I recognized I was dead and I'd like to be alive. And I can't do anything for it because I'm helpless. I'm lost. But I'd sure like to be alive. You can't take credit for it, it goes on to say in the New Living. It's a gift from God. Even the faith to believe comes from God. Do you get that? You don't even muster up the faith. God gifts you with the faith. The arguments presented, you understand you're dead in your trespasses and sins. The case is overwhelming. God pronounces the judgment on it. He says, I'm the only cure to it. Here's the case against you. And you simply receive what He has already determined. That's why it says, but God, who's rich, abundant, abounding in mercy and in grace, we receive his unmerited favor. The, the guilty verdict is in. You're dead. And he says, I'll give you my free and undeserved favor. And I'm even going to give you the faith to believe that it is so. Hallelujah. Because without it, we're dead. If God didn't give me the faith to believe, I don't think I could muster it up. I sure couldn't keep it. I'd find times in my life where I'd lose faith. I'd lack faith. 
I wouldn't have enough faith. But praise God, even faith is a gift. Salvation's a gift. Faith is a gift. Grace is a gift. Mercy's a gift. The picture, but God. That's why anybody can call on the name of the Lord. That's why anybody can be saved. That's the answer to that Second Peter three nine problem. Amen. He's not willing that any should perish. Do you know what he did about it? He made it but God. You get the picture? He made it so anybody can be saved. At any time, no matter where they've come from, no matter what they've done, no matter what they understand or don't understand, no matter how much faith they do or do not have in and of them, their own selves, because some people are gifted with faith, amen? I've met people who don't know the Lord that have a measure of what we would call faith. But saving faith is a gift from God. We just open up our hearts and our minds to the evidence and we say, God, it's all you. I love what William Temple said about this. He said, the only thing that a man can contribute to his redemption is the sin from which he needs to be redeemed. Isn't that awesome? That's about all you've got in the game. You show up, here's my pile of stuff that needs to be redeemed, needs to be paid for. Here's my junk, and I can't take care of the debt that I've enslaved myself to pay. Verse 9 says, it's not of works, lest any of you should boast. It's not of works. The New Living says, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so that none of us can boast about it. Hallelujah. Some people look at getting saved like a reward for the light bulb going on. Isn't that crazy? Think about it. When you go to your light switch, when you, go, when you turn it on, did you produce any of the power? Did you make the light bulb? You may have changed the light bulb, but you didn't make the light bulb. You didn't make the transmission lines. You sure didn't build the hydroelectric plant that produced the electricity or the nuclear power plant or the coal fire plant or the oil fire. You did nothing, but you went over and you turned it on. That's all you did. You can't take credit for the light in your house. And you cannot take credit for the light that's in you in Christ Jesus. It was remitted and transmitted by God. It was produced by God. It got to you via His own power source. All you do is acknowledge what happened. Yep. Click, I'm saved. By grace and through faith. And then he goes on to wrap this up. As we get to verse 10, I'm going to ask the elders to go ahead and begin to pass out the elements of communion, which we're going to celebrate. I'm going to have the worship team come back up as well. That's why verse 10 says what it says. This is staggering. You see, when you look at God and you look at who He is, and when you understand what we've just been studying, and you realize it's all Him and it's none of you, and you realize that the end result of that is I'm raised up with Christ, I'm seated with Christ, I am anointed by Christ, I am one day going to sit in heaven with Christ, all of these things. 
And then you realize that verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship. That word that's translated there, workmanship, is the Greek word poema. Poema is from which we get our English word poem. Poems are works of the heart, amen, but it can also be designed and looked at from a very broad perspective. It could be the word masterpiece or workmanship. Many of you ever done those paint by numbers things? They're not so good when they're done, huh? No matter how careful you are and you try and follow the lines and you get your little flourishes in there and all the things that you try and do to make that thing look like an original work of art, does it ever work? You know why? Because you're not the artist. We are God's artwork. We are God's poem. We are God's statuary. We are God's masterpieces. That's why we've already seen He wants to be able to point and say, look, right there, right there. You see that? That's Daryl. You see what I did? You see, I can't make Daryl that way. Nobody can make me that way. I'm His masterpiece by grace. He painted me. He chiseled me. He made me. And I am unique. I can't be replicated. There isn't, thank God there's not another Jeff. One is enough. But from God's perspective, one is wonderful. Crazy. You see, I only see my faults and weaknesses and blemishes. God sees the masterpiece. Notice what he says. Created. Can human beings create anything? He answers no. We can make things out of things that are already created, but we can't create anything. That's the picture here. The first words of your Bible, the first four are, In the beginning, God. Created. You're created in Christ Jesus. I'm created in Christ Jesus as a masterpiece. Do you understand what's being said here? God, out of all of humankind throughout all time, looks at your life, looks at my life, and says, I'm going to create a masterpiece in Christ Jesus and Jeff. Can't say that he's created in Jeff as a masterpiece, but in Christ Jesus, what I am because of Christ is a unique work of God's heart. That's why it goes on to say, for good works. What was I before? A bad B-movie, Empire of the Dead. Now I'm in Christ Jesus, created for good works, a masterpiece designed to show the world something amazing and wonderful. Now, I don't know how many of you actually enjoy works of art. I do. 
And when you, when you gaze upon a painting or a piece of statuary, you look at things that other people can just sit there. When I look at a Frederick Remington, you know, horse with Indians and cowboys, and it's like, how does anyone take a lump of clay or brass and do that? How does it happen? I try it and it looks like stick figures in chaos. I don't know whether you guys have ever tried modeling clay or, you know, tried to actually make a piece of artwork. It's not very good, is it? But God takes each one of us, every one of us in Christ Jesus, and creates a work of art. Does something so unique in you and in me through the blood of Christ that can't be accomplished any other way, that he says, there's my masterpiece. And oh, by the way, I created him, I created her, unique in all of the universe, with amazing skills and talents and gifts, so that I can point and say, that's what my kids are like. And then we get the privilege of created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, before he ever created you, said, won't it be cool when Jeff does these things? When Julie begins to use those things for her life, when Eugene begins to show forth the work that I'm doing in his life, and all of a sudden, I can say, look at that. Look how amazing I am. And people go, well, if you could do that with Eugene, you could do that with Billy, you could do that with Chuck, you could do that with Chris or with Jeff or with Brandon. You you, you could do that with them. Then what do you have in store for my life? What amazing thing do you want to do with my life, God? But God, you see, sometimes we sell ourselves so incredibly short. From God's perspective, (laughs) we're unique Navajo blankets, we're pieces of jewelry, we're these incredible works that there is not another one on this earth like us. You ever thought about yourself that way in Christ? That's so unique are you that if Jesus had gone to Calvary's cross for one, he would have gone for you to create just you. So that those works that he saw that you would do that he could point to and say, that's what it looks like to be my child. He would have done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It gives new meaning to those passages of Scripture that we we look at and we read. And as I was studying this morning, for some reason I got up really early. It was like four. I think I was just excited, honestly. Isaiah 53, it says, He is despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. For he was despised and we did not esteem him. For surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows. 
you see that creative process for you meant the death of God's Son. But the creative process from God's perspective was the creation of eternal life for you because you couldn't do it yourself. That's why when we look at the elements, it's his broken body. You know what it goes on to say next? You see, he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. From God's perspective, it was all part of the molding process of the statuary. It was the brush strokes on the painting. It was the carving away of that little place that the diamond would reside. Do you get it? You see, from our perspective, it was this horrific event, and don't mistake what I'm saying, it was horrific. The death that Christ died was like none other ever. But the life that we now live because of it was like none other ever. It had a purpose. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for my peace, your peace, our peace, was put upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And ultimately, verse 6 ends with, For the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all, so that he could say, but God. So that you could be a work of art. So that we could walk in those things that he created for us. It's staggering the truth of the good news. Amen? It's what gospel means, the good news. The good news is we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And there was only one way out. His name was Jesus. But God. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we honor you, Lord, to think that you, before the foundation of the world, created us in Christ Jesus for good works. That before we were born, you were thinking about what our lives would do in that glorious place of grace. Lord, how you would use us and the amazing things that we would become because of Jesus and us, our hope of glory. Lord Jesus, we can't imagine the cost that you were separated from Father God in heaven for the first time in all of eternity. That our sin, that old deadness, was put upon your shoulders. Lord, all the things that would have kept us separated eternally, you dealt with at Calvary's cross. Lord, it was your broken body, it was your stripes, and it was your blood that healed us. It's your blood that's made us alive. It's your grace that we now walk in, and it's your works that we look forward to. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, and we bless you for what you did on the cross. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray these things. Amen. Let's partake together. After service, 
you need prayer, maybe you've not understood what it means to be saved. Maybe you've been carrying around something that God doesn't want for you and you just want to leave it. There's going to be some of us available to pray with you. I want to encourage you to walk in that artwork that you are. Have that but God moment every single moment of every day. When the enemy comes and pushes in, push back with but God. You're right, Satan. I agree with you. I I at times am lousy and no good and I don't deserve it. But God. I, I thought something I shouldn't think. But God. I did something I shouldn't do. But God. Yeah, I used to be that way, but that's not who I am now. Because my Father God said He wants to be able to point to my life and say, See, that's what I can do. Amen? Let's worship.